0: Well, I'm going to give you the scripture reference, and you can look it up in your Bible. Normally, it would be up here for you for your convenience, but uh, Jason and I are going to begin to be uh, speaking and teaching and preaching in a theme of worship. We want to spend the next few weeks talking about worship, talking about the different facets of worship and why, and I'm going to begin with that. I'm going to begin with why worship worship? And I want to speak to that, and I want to speak a little bit to some of the cultural lenses that we may or may not be aware that we have, and, and I want to begin to just lay, lay a framework for worship and for where that comes from. And the first reference that, uh, that I want to share with you is from John 4, 23 and 24. And it says, but the hour is coming, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, and now is, When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Our God is holy. Our God is love. Our God is the definition of holiness and love. And our God is the source of all holiness and love. This is the God who is saying to us that he is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and truth. He's saying, I want you to behold these things that I am. This is the place where you're to go for these things. And Jesus, when he's here, he was speaking to, a, to a, a, a Gentile woman at that time and he was saying, God is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and truth. At that point, only the Jews had salvation and you had to convert to become a Jew. And he's saying, soon it's going to go out into all the nations. And in fact, the time now is where people will worship me in spirit and truth. And so we begin with that place and this is that God. So as promised, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, and, and um, I want to talk a little bit about how we engage with this. So we tend, so, so let's start with this. What is worship? What is that supposed to look like? I guess that would be the question. If Jesus is looking for, if God is looking for worshipers that would worship him in spirit and truth, then, then what would that look like? And we have to answer that question because he's asked us to do it. He's commanded us to do it. So so let me begin with, with this. We tend to determine what is true or appropriate by asking ourselves, if I were in a certain position or scenario, then what would I do? How would I want to be treated? And this process, when used in context, is correct. And it's the mental exercise of determining how you and I live out the second commandment. You guys know what the second commandment is? You're confused about this. Okay, let's just begin this, no, I'm just kidding. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's the second commandment. We love our neighbor as ourself. Another way that we talk about that is we call it the golden rule. Come on, the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. And this thought process is so well ingrained in this particular culture, and in most of the cultures of the West, and thankfully so, that we do this automatically. We may not even realize that it's the primary filter That we use to decide how to proceed in any given scenario. It's how we decide what's right or wrong. Think about it for a minute. When you're going into a a situation, remember from the time that we were kids, what did your mom or your dad or your teacher say to you? It's like, well, how would you want to be treated, right? You get in a fight and you're fighting over something, and you you guys you're you're familiar with this, right? It's like, hey, well, they should do this, and you go, well, wait a minute, how would you want to be treated? And you think it through and you go, oh, okay, I probably, you know, I probably should do it a little different. So we're very familiar with this idea of treating others in the same way that we want to be treated. And so that, that in truth, it's a good exercise. In every situation, it is a good exercise to, to allow this formula to be foremost for us. It's a fantastic exercise, except in one place, it's not a good exercise. I'm going to get to that. But it's only a good exercise if it is following and established firmly on the beauty and holiness of the first commandment. So treating other people the way I want to be treated only makes sense in the context of the first commandment. Are you guys with me? The first commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and worship him only. So this is from, from the very beginning of God revealing himself to Israel and then confirmed in Jesus when he says it again There's a constant reflection of the second commandment in our culture Would you guys agree with that? We see it all the time and if the this was working out this really cool slide behind you That looks really cool and it's a great reflection of how often this is reflected but now look back at me. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> don't stop looking at me, I need you. Okay, there's a constant reflection of the second commandment in our culture. And many of us may not realize where it came from, yet the fact remains the core value of treating your neighbor the way you want to be treated is a derivative of the gospel of the kingdom, it's a derivative of the teachings of Christ. Treating your neighbor the way you want to be treated, loving your neighbor like yourself, that's a derivative of the kingdom. But our, our, and so though it's reflected in our culture all the time, a lot of people don't even know where that comes from. They just figure that's just, that's just common sense. That's just common decency. Well, it didn't used to be. In fact, I, I was speaking with someone who was from India and they were saying, you know, you guys, you, you have like on the five, you know, when like somebody, you know, stops to, I don't know, look at a horse, but their car is on the side of the road now, you get gridlock on one side of the five. You know what I'm I'm talking about? Or like somebody gets a flat tire and their car's just a little bit out like that, gridlock on the five, why? Well, it's actually a funny symptom based on Western values. This does not happen in India. In India, my friend tells me, you can have somebody, you could have one car piled on top of another car with a horse Pulling a wagon next to, you could have all kinds of a circus act happening, and people are just like, all around. Traffic does not slow down at all. And he said, the reason why is because in our culture there, that's their business. I'm working on my business. So we don't stop to look and see who wrecked on the side of the road. That's their business. My business is to get where I need to go. He said, in America, you guys actually constantly look to see what's going on with your neighbor to see if it's your business or not. Isn't that a funny? Now that's a. I'm not going to take that too far, but isn't that an interesting symptom of the fact that we? It's so ingrained in us to look out for our neighbor that we actually lock traffic up to see whether or not I want to be treated the way that person's being treated right there. It's like, oh man, are they are they hurt? Maybe I ought to stop. Oh no, they're fine. I'm good. And then we speed back up. But at that point, it's already like. And then everybody there on is like, I wonder what's going on up there. I wonder if it's any of my business. And so we all looky loo. Nope, none of my business. That is actually an outcome because this is so well ingrained in our culture. So this is beautiful, by the way. We should, we, let's rejoice in that. Thank you, Father, that the golden rule is still ingrained in the culture of the West. Thank you, Jesus. However, the first commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and worship him only, is not reflected consistently in our culture. That is not reflected consistently in our culture at this point. And many of us may be surprised to find that we're actually misusing the process of the second commandment, of asking ourselves, How would I want to be treated to determine our practice of what is appropriate and what is not in the worship of God? Did you catch that? And we think to ourselves, Okay. God wants to be worshipped. And we immediately go, without even thinking about it, because this is ingrained, this is like the looky-loo, like, is that some of my business? We're so used to doing this, we ask ourselves this question, if I were God, how would I want to be worshipped? And it happens just like that. If I were God, how would I want to be worshipped? Or we might ask the question, well, if I were God, why would I want to be worshipped? If I were God, why would I want to be worshipped? And how many of you have heard somebody say that who actually has rejected God and they're like, well, he's so insecure. Have you guys ever heard that? Come on, raise a hand. Anybody heard that? It's like, why would I serve a God that has all the power and yet he needs people to be like, you're so good, you're so fancy, I love you, I'm a worm, you're amazing. And that's like their picture of what God wants. And and it's because what they're doing is they're actually using the second commandment as a grid to see God without the first commandment. But I would say this: I think that many of us do the same thing, much more than we may realize, that we're actually culturizing through that lens, through that filter. See, when we do this, we begin to form our practices when we, when we ask ourselves and like I said, this is a good question to ask as long as it's following the First commandment. The Second commandment's a beautiful grid for every other relationship. It's a beautiful grid. There's only one relationship where it's a terrible grid, and that is when you go to God, because no one else is worthy to be worshipped, but he is the singular one that is actually worthy to be worshipped, and so there's a question that comes before, if I were God, how would I want to be treated? It's, first of all, you're not. Thank God none of us are God, yeah? Yeah. That's a good one. So that is, that is the only, I mean, it is so exclusive. That is an exclusive place, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So when we do this, when we look at worship and then very quickly decide how we're going to act based on our grid of, if I were God, how would I want this done? How would I want to be treated if I were God? That is an inappropriate question because what it does is we begin to form our practices based on our own viewpoint, How many of you guys know that a viewpoint is a finite view from a singular point? That is a very, how much can I see behind me right now? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I just can't. But I can see right here. So my viewpoint is limited right here. How much more is my viewpoint limited when it comes to a limitless God? Alright, so we begin to do, we begin to determine our practices based on our own viewpoint rather than his, on our own experience rather than his, on our own values and our own understanding and our own cultural lens rather than his. And based on these things, we judge him, well, that's weird, God. You know, for those that would say, he's so weird, he, like, makes us broken, then he makes us worship him. I mean, there's all these things that we can come up with if we miss the first commandment. And we've heard, we've heard them. This is a, I wish this was in front of you, but I'm going to read it. This is a quote from a comedian recently that I watched a, a part of his show. I couldn't stomach the rest of it. But he says, the Bible says we're made in his image, right? So I started thinking, i drink. And, well, then I know why there are natural disasters on this earth. It's because he drinks. He gets really drunk, God, and we're jerks, and we all know we're jerks, and so he gets really mad, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you jerks, and poof, natural disaster, and then the next day he's like, oh, man, oh, man, what did I do? Oh, oh, sorry. Here, here's a rainbow, and he's like, that explains natural disasters, and the people all laugh. You know, he was much more better with his delivery than me, but isn't that a sad, sad picture? of a man taking that scripture that says God is we are made in God's image and then reverse engineering it to essentially say if I were God how would I explain natural disasters and for this particular person with his view from a point he decided God probably drinks because I have a drinking problem and I do a bunch of stupid stuff and try to make up for it the next day I bet that's what God's doing It's rather sad. You guys are quiet today. It's a rather sad predicament, but it's sad because this is very true, isn't it, for many? It's this idea of forming God in our image rather than realizing that we're formed in his. His is undistorted. Ours can be distorted. All right? So this is an example of running God through the filter that we have. The scripture that speaks to that is Romans 1, 20 through 23. For the sense of the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So all of creation is speaking of these, of these things. So that they are without excuse, they meaning the world, meaning those that reject God, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became, they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. Isn't that just exactly what we just heard from that comedian? He's like, he, he, though he knew God, and this guy knew scripture, so clearly he grew up in the church. You can tell the, the man has some wounds. He's got some anger, and he's turned to humor to share that with us, and he's a very, very talented guy, but he's angry and he's, rather than glorifying God and being thankful, he's actually turned God into a corruptible man. And, then, and that's where he's making his jokes from. And we can look at that and see that very clearly, but that is a common thing for us to do. When we don't glorify God and give thanks to God, we are turning ourselves over, over to actually take God and his holiness and his love and lower it down to our current level of experience and practice and to say, this is what God's like. And when we stop beholding him, when we stop looking to him, when we stop worshiping him, this is what we actually practice. And this is what Romans is speaking of. Isn't that that interesting? The second commandment is the reflection of the first. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is the reflection of the first, which is love God with all of your heart all of your strength, all of your mind, worship him only. Worship him only. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, and he's trying to get Jesus to worship him, he's trying to get Jesus, you notice Satan tempts Jesus to fulfill the things that he's come to do by another means. Satan says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. What was Jesus here to do? To redeem all the kingdoms of the world. But Satan says, do it my way. And at the end, he just comes right out and Satan says, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and all of that glory. And Jesus' answer to Satan in that moment is this, in Matthew 4.10, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, Jesus speaks to the enemy, he goes, you can only worship the Lord your God. There's no one else is to be worshiped. You see, the second commandment is the reflection of the first. Worship the Lord your God only. It is us loving others. The second commandment is us loving others because we've received the love of the Father and we've chosen to love him in return. The reflection of his love in us, are you seeing this? The reflection of his love in us results in us fulfilling the second commandment. Yet, if we neglect the first, the second becomes distorted. Our practices become distorted because we're not reflecting him. Have you ever seen where where they take the light, you know, and there's a mirror, and you, you grab the light and you focus it, and all of a sudden there's a beam of light hits it and goes this direction? That's what we do. We reflect the glory of God. And how do we do that? You see, we can only reflect that which we behold, I should not have looked at that light. Now I can't even see. And we can only mirror that which we look upon. Did you catch this? We can only reflect that which we behold. And we can only mirror that which we look upon. The first commandment is the one to whom we are to behold. The first commandment is the one whom we are to mirror, to look upon. And it is, His, it is him reflecting through us that fulfills the second commandment, that changes and redeems on the earth the work of Christ happening through us as we live out that. But if we don't do that, we begin to have a distorted view, first of all, of how life works, of everything, because we ourselves are distorting him because we no longer reflect him because we no longer behold him. You see, the second commandment is always appropriate for us towards our neighbor. The second commandment is never appropriate for us towards God, which I just explained to you, right? It's never appropriate. You never say, God... (laughs) If I were you, I'd have done it this way. Now, God doesn't say you can't question him. He's a really good dad. He actually wants us to question him. God, why, why did you do it that way? But you don't start with, God, based on my experience, you just did that wrong. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? God, I would have loved my neighbor differently than the way you just did it. When we behold him, when we come from that place to say, you are God, God, Help me to see this from your perspective. Help me to understand what you've done. There's a different place where we're glorifying him, we're thanking him, we're meditating on him, but we're starting with the point and fact that he is God and we are not. And that's a really good place to always go to. That's a safe, beautiful thing. That's why he commands us, love God and worship him only. When the, when the Pharisees were asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Then Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There's a, there's a reality that when, God, when we're coming to God, that we must begin with worship. Now, I think most of us in this house, I would say that, I mean, you guys are, you guys are faithful. I don't know that we have a uh, very, very, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but for the most part, I'm looking out here and saying, okay, I know most of your face, almost everybody's face here, and I know that you love the Lord, and I know that you're serving him. So I don't really think that I'm like blowing your mind right now. I'm like, I have to Love him and serve him, I had no idea. You guys get that. You know you have to love him and serve him. But there is something about worship, there's something about worship that can get very, very one-dimensional with us and that whether we realize it or not, we're very much, even as lovers of God and servants of the Most High in the best kind of way, you know, in the family business of sons and daughters, can become very one or maybe two-dimensional in what we do when it comes to the idea of worshiping God. We can become very like, oh, I know exactly what that looks like. And what we may not realize is that we've been in the habit of saying, oh, yeah, if I were God, then that would mean this. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense to me because based on what I know, it probably looks like this. And what you don't realize is you're using, you're using that same filter. You're using that same grid. So today what I'm simply saying is let's begin with the part that we must worship him only and that we're actually commanded to worship him. Because in the next few weeks, we're going to begin to unpack what that actually looks like, and, I, and the great, beautiful news here, by the way, guys, is that He is a multi-dimensional, multifaceted God. He is one, but He is not boring. He is not. He He is. There's a lot of goodness there to find. There's a lot of ways that we get to worship Him. There's not just one part of our life that He goes. Now that's what I'm talking about. That's the good stuff. Now carry on and live your life. No, no, no. It is, there, are, there, are, there is a prescription. There is a beautiful way of life where in all things we worship him. And that's what we're going to do in the, in the ensuing weeks. We're going to begin to talk about, if God is saying he, that he wants his, that he is spirit and we're to worship him in spirit and truth, what does that look like? What does that look like? And we're going to unpack that together. This is a quote by... Um, yeah, I've got enough time for this. This is a quote by uh, David Foster Wallace. He's a, a, uh, a rather popular author who, who really did a great job being vulnerable and transparent in our culture and, and actually uh, doing a good job critiquing American culture. Unfortunately, he also um, suffered horribly with depression and ended up committing suicide, I think, in 2009. But this is a quote from one of, the, one of his books. And, uh, and he says this, He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spirit-type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. In other words, if you don't find something that exists subjectively outside of you, that thing's gonna eat you alive. Because if you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. And you'll never feel that you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. You see, whatever you pick, because you're going to pick something. You're going to pick something and you're going to worship it. And, and here's what I'd like to say. Many of you, Everyone here, I believe today, you're here because you're picking to, to worship God. So we're not concerned. I'm not concerned that you haven't said, I want to worship God. But I would say this, may the Holy Spirit, as we're going through this journey together to talk about what a life of worship looks like, may, may the Holy Spirit begin to point out to us the areas where we actually have no expectation that God would want, him, want us to worship Him in that area you may find you're worshiping something else. Did you catch this? You see, if we don't find the way that we're to worship God in every area, it creates a vacuum. And worship is the only way of life. So you are worshiping. You and I are worshiping something in every facet of our life. And the question is, what is it? And we would say, I worship God. And indeed, you do. But I believe that God wants to begin to show us how to worship him in every facet and every aspect. And to the degree that we have not explored what worship looks like in every aspect, we may find that there are aspects that we're not actually worshiping him. And and here David Foster Wallace says, the whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness did you catch that he's saying now obviously he didn't get it worked out i don't say that flippantly i'm saying he was just being honest to say wherever you are don't pretend like you don't worship but he's saying but the trick is to keep the truth up front jesus came and said i am the truth i am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except for by me But you guys all have been through days where we forget to hang out with the truth for part of the day, right? And that's simply what he's pointing to, is he's saying there's something about having to keep that forward. And how are we called to do that? That we worship him in spirit and truth. That we worship him only. And, the, and, the, and this is the area, this is the area in practical, day-to-day, life-on-life, continuous, moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour. This is the area where Satan comes and says, if you will worship me, I will give you success in this area. If it's good for Jesus, if the strategy was tried on Jesus, I guarantee you the strategy is being tried on us. Are you guys with me? So we are all being asked by Satan in some way or another... To worship something else be it vanity be it money be it control some of us even worship actually poverty we've decided that that we're not going to be part of the system and we've actually elected to be in poverty which is not a kingdom value so there's all kinds of ways where the enemy has actually said worship me in this way and I will give you power in this area and we think that it's God but as we begin to worship God in every area, we will begin to find, oh, it's in this area. I'm not worshiping God and serving him only. I've been duped in this area. I didn't know that there was language or, or, or that God was actually asking me to do a certain thing in this area. It never came into my mind that I should figure out how to contextualize worship in this aspect. And to that extent, we will find something has filled the place of worshiping God and serving him only in that place. The good news is, as soon as we begin to, and I'll end with this scripture, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says this. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What's the point here? We become like the one whom we behold. We were created in his image to be like him, not to be God the Father, but to be sons and daughters made in his image, beholding him in every area of our life, reflecting him, In every area of our life. Worshiping him. Because when you worship. You have to turn your affection towards the one that you worship. And when we turn towards him. We begin to behold him. And the one whom we are beholding. As in a mirror. The glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image. This is why he asks us to worship. He doesn't need our worship. We need to worship him. Father, we thank you for the truth of your scripture. And we thank you for the journey that we're about to go on to now, Lord. To begin to find out how to worship you in every facet of our lives. We glory in you. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit and according to your promise that you would complete the good work that you began in each of us, that we together could come into the fullness and the maturity of Christ Jesus. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Lead us by your scripture and teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The prayer servant team is gonna be up front. If you need healing or encouragement or whatever you need, just please come avail yourself of prayer. Jason and I will be at the back and we'd love to shake your hand and say hello on your way out today.